Let me preach to you. Don't leave yet. You know, you've seen waiting rooms, and uh, they look beautiful, some of them, all the magazines and whatever, but, you know, usually we don't think about having a very good time <laughs> in the waiting room, right? Usually we're looking on our, at our phones, we're flipping through a magazine, we're waiting, we're waiting, and why was my appointment at 10.15, and now it's 11.30, and they still haven't called me back. But waiting, biblically speaking, can be a good thing. And many times God will put us or ask us to be in a season of waiting for a reason as he is working in our lives and through our lives and getting ready to do something special in our lives. So the title this morning, Don't Leave Just Yet. Thought about leaving. We had some company uh, a few weeks ago, Mitch and Trista and their 19 or 20 kids and uh, ever how many of them came with them that time. But we enjoyed having them. We really did. It was fun. It was fun, and, and, but I thought about when they left. You know, when your company leaves and you've had a good time, they were with us for the weekend, you really don't want them to go, and they don't really want to go, but people have obligations, and he's the clerk for their church, and he said, I have to get back tonight so I can write the payroll, and, and if I don't do it tonight, it'll mess up the sequence of, of everything in our accounting books, and you know, you just have, you know how life is. You have a visit, but, but the visit has to end, and, and so... I thought about leaving after a southern visit. Now, you can relate to this, I'm sure. If you're leaving after a southern visit, it starts kind of like this. You're sitting in the, in the den or the family room or the parlor, and somebody says, well, we probably should go. And then there's some more conversation. And then there's a, another, well, honey, you know, we probably ought to, to leave. And then there's some more conversation, right? A leaving after a southern visit. And then everybody stands up. So that's a signal that the leaving is starting. And as you stand up, you start talking again about something else, leaving after a southern visit, right? And eventually somebody makes a move. And, and the entourage starts to leave the living room or family room. And you make it to maybe the entrance of the house and the doorway. And, of course, you know, shoes need to be put on and coats need to be put on. And if there are any kids involved, that's the time when you're trying without being rude. It's like, get over here. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah, have you ever been there? You know, you're, like you're trying to leave and your kid's running up the stairs and you're like, stop. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Come on. You know, I, I'm, <laughs> you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, Emily, come on. You know, get up. So you're, you're trying to leave, and then you talk a little more, and it's a southern visit. Then you get out on the porch, and you know, you guessed it, right? More conversation, and you don't just leave the company or the company doesn't. You don't leave the porch and go back inside. You walk with them to the car, right? And, and you stand there with the car door open for about five more minutes and, and you talk some more and then you wave as they're going out of the driveway and everybody's waving, right? So it, don't leave yet, leaving after a southern visit. Well, I thought about Jesus when he was, he had a long goodbye too, you know, he might have been a little southern as well. Uh, after his resurrection, he spent 40 days essentially saying goodbye to the believers, saying goodbye to the disciples and instructing them and teaching them and, and, and reassuring them that even though he was leaving, that they were going to be well taken care of. And we know the culmination of his leaving, we preached about it maybe a month or so ago by now, was the ascension as they were watching in him. He was teaching them and blessing them. And then he was 
risen up. He resurrected up into the heavens, if you will, ascended up into the heavens, and they watched as he left. But here is something that he said, Acts 1-4, something that he said before he left. You could say these are part of the last words of Jesus. And all throughout history, last words are very important. I've heard of of uh, maybe someone even leaving this life saying, I want to talk to my son. I want to talk to my daughter. I want to say something to my spouse. And those last words of significance or, or a historical figure maybe who have made a statement before passing. Last words are significant. So when we say last words are significant, how much more are the last words of Jesus Significant. Here are some of his very last words to you and me. Acts 1, 4. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart. Don't leave just yet. Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Somebody say wait. To wait for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit, right? We have covered the words of Jesus in regards to the Holy Spirit. We have covered how Jesus called the Holy Spirit the guide, the helper, the spirit of truth, the comforter, the counselor. But he also referred to the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father. The roots of that statement could even go back to the book of Joel when Joel prophesied about this great promise of the last days of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So as we have gone through this sermon series and many sermons this entire year, it leads us to a culmination point of today's sermon and next week's sermon. Now, next week's sermon will be in Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost has fully come. Ironically enough, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And I would say in my infinite wisdom and knowledge, I planned it that way, but I didn't. So I can't can't say, but I'm, I'm pretty excited that it hits that way. So next Sunday on Pentecost Sunday, we'll be preaching from Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost when it has fully come. But Jesus tells them here in his famous last words, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the endowment of power from the Holy Spirit is God's idea. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it all throughout Jesus' ministry. And here we see his very words telling the disciples and by proxy telling you and me as well to wait and tarry to receive the promise of the Father which you have heard from me. So let's look at the next slide that says we don't know what we don't know. I'm afraid that there are, there are many Christians who have, have been taught in different ways or in different manners. And when the topic of the Holy Spirit comes up, when the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes up, if we aren't careful, many will shy away from that because there's such confusion and there's such misunderstanding about the topic. But when we remind ourselves this was God's plan, this was God's idea this is God's concept when we remind ourselves that Jesus spoke throughout his entirety of his ministry about the Holy Spirit and told us what was going to happen and how the disciples need the Holy Spirit and how we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit we began to learn that we don't know what we don't know 
Now, some of you will get that phrase later this afternoon. You'll be like, you don't know what we don't know. Because I have to think about it, too, a little bit. So at this afternoon, when you're like, oh, that's what he meant by we don't know what we don't know, then you can give me a good amen about 4 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> but let me try to say it in a story form. When I was at the ripe old age of maybe somewhere around 21, 22, and I was finishing up at Bluefield College my uh, studies to be a school teacher, social studies teacher. And you know, when you're studying to become something, many times you are, for the old expression, chomping it to bits to do it, right? And you think, I can do this. I am ready for this. I am studying for this. I am called to do this. I, I could jump in that classroom right now. But we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> That's why experience is so important. Experience is so important. Now, you can relate this to, to your job, to your vocation, your career, and you can think about experiences that you have had, and over time, you realize, oh, I didn't know that, but boy, I know it now, right? And sometimes we learn it the easy way, and sometimes we learn it the hard way. But the people, the wise people who had the teacher education program they knew that I didn't know what I didn't know. And so there was a process, right? And somewhere around my sophomore year, there were these things called practicum experiences. And so they allowed me to go into some school settings, but I was not allowed to teach. I was not allowed to speak. You sit in the back of the room and you know your place, oh boy. And you sit in the back of that classroom and you what? Observe. And you listen and you watch. And we had to log a certain number of hours of just listening and watching and seeing what the teacher did and seeing how the teacher interacted. It was like a, a, an observation period. Well, then after doing a certain number of practicum hours and then reaching the end of the classroom time, there comes a time at the end, your final semester, which is student teaching and so student teaching is kind of like you get to get on the bicycle, but you have training wheels. And at first you have the person behind you holding on to the seat, right? And so even when I started student teaching, didn't know what I didn't know, right? The teacher taught first, and then maybe the teacher would say, okay, you can do the last half of the day. Or how about you do one lesson or a couple lessons today. And then over time, the teacher stepped back, and me, the student teacher, got to do more and more and more until finally you have a period of several weeks where you're teaching, but the teacher, the teacher, <laughs> is in the room, right? And, and so you can't go off the reservation too far because the teacher who's really in charge is still there. And then finally, if you've done pretty good and your teacher's pretty relaxed, finally your teacher gets comfortable enough to go down to the teacher's workroom and have a Coke Zero and a pack of nabs and leave you alone with the classroom. And then it's on like Donkey Kong. Then you're in. Then you're, you're teaching, right? Then you're teaching. You don't know what you don't know. Now, that was my experience. You have your own experience, whether it be in a hobby or, or in something you work on or whether it be in your vocation. We don't know what we don't know. And I say that to say this. 
in our spiritual walk, in our relationship with God, many times we don't know what we don't know. Many times, if we aren't careful, we can arrive at a place where we feel like I'm saved and I'm satisfied. And God wants us to be at at some level content and satisfied that our sins are forgiven and that we're justified and we're new creations and all that's great. But he also wants us to have a hunger to know that there there, there is a depth in our walk with God that we can know. But we don't know until we don't know. Many times I I haven't known the moving of the Holy Spirit in my life at a deeper level until I've actually stepped in to that. And then I can look back and say, oh, how precious, how wonderful. I want more of him. I want more of that experience in my life. So there's three things that I want us to, three principles, I guess, that are pretty practical that I want us to think about this morning in regards to our walk with God and we don't know what we don't know. One is this, be receptive to learning and receiving. As a Christian, be receptive to learning and receiving. Don't take on an attitude that I know all that I need to know or I know enough to get by. But we should dig into the word of God. We should study to learn and to know more than we know right now because every week when I study and prepare for sermons, every week I get excited. Every week I learn something new. Every week I discover the richness and the greatness of God's word. But also be receptive to receiving. Be receptive to receiving. Don't say I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart and my life and that's the only experience that I need because Jesus is telling us that we can tarry and wait and we can receive an endowment of power, a baptism, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, discern, discern the season of our life. Discern the season of our life. Be perceptive through prayer of where we are in life. Where does God have me in life? Am I at a time of growing and learning? Am I at a time of doing? Where does God have me right now? And what is God wanting to do in my life? Is he preparing me for a next step? Discern where I am in life. And then three, come to a realization That our relationship with Christ can be deeper and more significant than where it is. I guess I'm preaching against apathy. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be apathetic. I could say, don't be lazy. (laughs) But come to a realization that our walk with Christ can be deeper. and, And we can have more significant experience with Christ in our hearts and lives. It doesn't stop after Salvation, as wonderful as it is. So I want to look at an illustration then this morning as we're waiting. And the next slide says this, waiting to be baptized. Waiting to be baptized. Now last Sunday, somewhere around 2 o'clock, it was a really beautiful, some of you were here, beautiful experience. We had a baptism. Kathleen had celebrated her 90th birthday which she had a few days later, but she'd had her party and she wanted to be re-baptized. She said she'd been baptized as a young person, but she said to me, you know, the Bible says do your first works over. And, and, and so, so she wanted to be baptized. And so I thought about, as I was studying for this sermon, the, the similarity when, when we see in all four Gospels, 
all four Gospels. Matthew chapter 3. You can read more about this if you want to be in the advanced class today. Matthew 3, Luke 3, John 1, and Mark 1. All four Gospels. John 1, Mark 1, Matthew 3, Luke 3. All speak, and it's tied to Jesus, about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And in each of those Gospels, it says, John indeed baptized with what? Water. But John was talking about and pointing to a man, Jesus, who was going to come, and he was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so I thought about that word baptize. I thought, okay, why does the Bible in all four Gospels use the term baptism and we think about baptism in water, and then we think about baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? What, what, why that word? There's got to be something there about that word. So I went back to Sunday, and I thought about as we baptized, three precious souls that we baptized. So I think he's 11 or 12-year-old, a 90-year-old, and then Francis would shoot me if I said her age. <laughs> But as we baptized those three precious souls on Sunday, what happened there? What happened there? Well, one, they made a decision, right? They made a decision. They said, we're going to be baptized. Now, time out just a second. Baptism doesn't save us, right? The blood of Jesus Christ saves us. We come to Christ. We repent of our sins. We accept Christ in our heart and life, and we're saved, but in obedience to God's word and following the example of Christ, we should be water baptized. Amen? Amen? And then the water baptism is then an outward expression of an inward work. It shows on the outside what Christ did on the inside. When the sins have been buried, we're buried with him in baptism, but then we're risen again into new life in Christ. So that baptism experience of water shows an illustration of what Christ has already done for us when we accepted him as our personal savior. And then we follow him in obedience to that baptism, buried with him and then risen again into new life. So I thought, okay, baptism, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. So first, the candidate last week made a decision. They said, I'm going to be baptized, right? They had to make that decision. Then secondly, they got into the water and they had to yield themselves. Now watch this. I, I think I'm going somewhere here, hopefully. They had to yield themselves to two disciples. Pastor Daryl and I, if you call us disciples, who baptized them in water. If they had stood there or they had grabbed a hold, then the, two then the two baptizers, the two disciples, we could not have, they had to yield themselves to the baptism. And then they were fully immersed into the water. Fully immersed into the water. And then I thought about this. Now think about it. When they came back out of the water, every part of their being, every part of their physical body was wet. There was no possible way that any part of it could be dry. In the entirety of their body was wet. It impacted every part of their physical body. And then it also influenced everybody who was around them because it was a public testimony and a public proclamation, right? 
So that was the baptism in water. So then I thought about when Jesus says for them to tarry and wait and you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. I thought, what does it mean then, baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I think about it this way. I think if we just go through those steps again, it will show us a good picture of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. One, I have to make a decision. Come on, somebody. I've got to make a decision that I need more of the working of the Holy Spirit in my heart and life. Because if I haven't made that decision, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not cross past my will and my decision. He will draw me. He will urge me. But he won't. Does that make sense? Now, let me stop here one other time out as we go work our way. I hope I'm okay this morning. Working my way through this here. Theologically speaking, let me tell you. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in our hearts and our lives. Okay, we receive the Holy Spirit. He is in us and with us because Jesus said, I'm going to leave you, but he's going to come and he can be with you. So the Holy Spirit is in our hearts and in our lives. I had a dear lady at, at my former church that uh, Travis Gore came in and preached a sermon. Should have known it was Travis caused me tr- trouble. Good, edit that out so I don't, I don't get in trouble. No. He preached a sermon about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and she was a, from a different tradition and so when she left, she said, well, the service was so good, but it was kind of like a fly in the, in the buttermilk, she said, because when he said that, that I don't have the Holy Spirit, and I, or, and I said, no, that's not what he was saying. So I think when, if we aren't careful, we don't explain things, and we, we need to, to take a little time and do some teaching, with, especially those of us who have been in this tradition for, for many years. The Holy Spirit comes in our hearts and lives at salvation. He is in us. He is with us. But beyond salvation, there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm talking about right now. So if you're looking at me this morning, you say, Greg, I am saved and I have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. And yes, you are. I guess. I hope. <laughs> I mean, you say so, right? So I'm going to take you at your word for that. So I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is after we've been saved, there is a second work of a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now let's walk through that. Let's walk through that. We're saved. Sins are covered. The Holy Spirit is in our heart and in our life. But Jesus said to Terry, to wait. I have a baptism for you. One, I have to make a decision. I have to make a decision. If I don't feel like this baptism is for me, then it's not going to happen for me. Somebody say amen. If, I, if I'm refusing it, if I'm, I'm stubborn, if I'm prideful, if, I, if I'm confused, you know, if I'm just like, I don't want it, I don't know about it, but I have to make a decision. I say, Lord Jesus, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to know an Acts 2 experience. I want to know, I want to take you at your word when in Acts 1, 4, you told the disciples and in proxy you're telling me to tarry until I'm endued with power from on high. I have to make that decision. Then secondly, I have to be totally yielded. Yielded. Now watch this. We talked about the person in the baptistry. If they weren't yielded and they weren't going to allow the two disciples to baptize them in water, it wasn't going to happen. Who baptizes in the Holy Spirit? Jesus. 
So just like Daryl and myself were baptizing in water, you get this beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit baptism. It is Jesus himself. You see, the Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus for salvation, and then Jesus says, I want to take you now, and I want to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing, but we must be yielded. We must be yielded when we sense that Jesus is working with us and he says, it's time, I'm ready. I want to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Then we must be yielded to him. And then what happens then when Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, we are fully, just continue to think about that picture of baptism of water, we are fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. We don't know what we don't know, but then we begin to know a depth that we never knew. Then we begin to know a working and a moving and a presence of the Holy Spirit and a controlling of the Holy Spirit like we've never known. And we are fully immersed in that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then when we come up out of that baptism, he has affected and impacted every part of our lives. Just like when they came out of this baptistry wet and covered in water, we can be baptized by Jesus himself into the Holy Spirit, come back up with his presence all over us and in us and through us and around us. And then those around us are impacted. And those around us are influenced. And, and, and we proclaim the gospel with a greater boldness. And we live with a greater boldness. And we live with a greater unction and moving and ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we need to focus on the right things. Focus on the right things. Acts 1, 6 through 7. Acts 1, 6 through 7. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, You see, I just got worked up right there. I just got excited right there. I can't help but think that Jesus was a little excited when he told them what he had just told them. And then they go on a rabbit trail. You know? <laughs> it's like, goodness gracious. Focus on the right things. Focus on the right. Focus, listen, look, you know, <laughs> right here, here. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus has just gone down this beautiful discord. Jesus has just made this beautiful promise. And they're still hung up on the fact, are you going to set up your earthly kingdom now? Give me a break. Look at the next verse, 7. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. We'll get to verse 8 in just a second. But they were distracted by the wrong things. Can I preach to us this morning when it comes to the moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when it comes to a full immersion into the Holy Spirit and allowing him to just bless us and empower us, if we aren't careful, we'll get distracted. We won't focus on what Jesus has said. We'll focus on what somebody told us years ago. Or we'll focus on a tradition that has trained us to be skeptical of the Holy Spirit. Am I preaching all right this morning? Or we'll focus on opinions or biases. Or we'll focus on, oh, I saw somebody years ago and they did something really weird. And I just don't want anything to do with that. We'll focus on the wrong things. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. Focus on what Jesus has said. Focus on the promise from the Father. Focus on the fact that Jesus himself says, you're a Christian now. So I want to take you and I want to immerse you in the Holy Spirit and baptize you. 
We can't focus on opinions, traditions, prejudices, biases, styles, experiences, or our pride. Sometimes we say, well, I don't want the Holy Spirit to get too involved because I don't know how I might act or what I might do. And you know what that is? It's pride. It's pride. Don't focus on those distractions. Don't focus on those barriers. But focus on this. Verse 8, Acts 1, 8, which is a power beyond ourselves. Jesus said, you know, boys, listen, you're getting distracted. Don't focus on the times and the seasons. I've got all that figured out. And boy, that would preach to us right now, too. If we aren't careful, we get all focused on, is our country going to make it? Is this the end? Is this the end? What's happening? What's there? Don't focus on all of those things. Focus on this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I don't have to focus about what's happening in the world around me and wring my hands and think, oh, what is next? What is next? I can't believe this. I can't believe gas prices are $10.50. And I can't believe we can't find this and we can't do that. And there's war over there. I choose to focus this morning that I, me personally, can receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me. And yes, let's give the Lord praise this morning. And when his power, when his power has come upon me, I can take whatever this world throws at me. It's you shall receive. It says you, but we can say me. Somebody say me. When we receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now listen. I'm all wound up this morning. Now listen. <laughs> I hear a lot of teaching that says, when you know, just the Holy Spirit baptism is just for witnessing. Just for witnessing. And right here, that proves that it is, one function of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be witnesses. Because you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the end of the earth. And, and basically, you look at that, and it's like a circle. It just keeps going out and out and out and out. That tells me the more the Holy Spirit that I have, the larger my influence can grow. And I can start right where I am, but my influence can grow and grow and grow for the glory of God's kingdom. And I can be a witness for him. But the Holy Spirit... It's not that baptism of the Holy Spirit that we're preaching about. It's not just so that we can be witnesses for him. The baptism of the Holy Spirit sure does and sure has helped me live a more victorious Christian life. Can somebody say amen to that? The baptism of the Holy Spirit has caused me to become more aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit can pray in me and through me in a language that I don't understand and intercede to God through me and pray for me. The Holy Spirit has reminded me and that baptism of the Holy Spirit has reminded me that I have been able to walk through or deal with things that in myself I could not have, but his power that has endued me has helped me. And of course, all of those things do become a witness in and of themselves for the glory of God. So it's a, it's a beautiful cycle. So I ask you this morning, are you saved? Have you yielded to the Holy Spirit asking you to come and accept Christ? If you are saved, have you ever really allowed Jesus Christ, because he's the baptizer. John said, John said, you know, I'm baptizing in water. But there's one that's going to come. I'm not even worthy to get down and unbuckle his shoes. I can't even take his shoes off. But he, talking about Christ, shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I say this morning, let's not just stop at salvation. 
But let's say, Lord, I thank you. My sins are forgiven. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is in me and guides me. But I thank you. There is a second work. There is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to make a decision today that I need him. And after I make that decision that I need him, I want to start seeking for him to do that work and say, Lord, I want to come. I want to put myself in position, right? Last week, we could not have baptized those three had they stayed in the pews. I can't throw that far. I have to take the water. They had to put themselves in position. And so I say to us this morning, let's put ourselves in the position where he can baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And then when he begins to do that work, don't stiffen up and stop it. But say, Lord, I want you to fully immerse me in the Holy Spirit. And when I come back out, there will be no question question because they came out of the water dripping wet I want to come out of your spirit dripping wet if I could say it that way I hope I've given you a good picture this morning I hope I've given you a good illustration but even greater than that I hope I've given you some hunger in your life for a power beyond ourselves an experience beyond ourselves and let me say this every one of us in this house need to seek a further endowment of the Holy Spirit amen We can live with a greater purpose. We can live life with a greater power. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us a power that is beyond ourselves. He gives us a purpose that is beyond ourselves. I'm not the best preacher in the the world. Bentley might tell me I am, though. He told me I lost weight. I'm not the best preacher in the world, but I could not do this at whatever level I do it at, without the Holy Spirit. Amen. I told him before I came up here and and praying, I said, Lord, unless you help me, unless you anoint me, unless the Holy Spirit gets involved, I cannot do this. And so he has proven himself to me time and time again. And whatever he, he might have things on your horizon for you to do for Christ that you would never have imagined things on your horizon to do for Christ that might scare you to death, things on your horizon that you say, there's no way that I can do that. And you are right, there is no way you can do that. But you shall receive power after that. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. Amen. So why don't we live for significance? Significance over selfishness. And say, Lord, I want to be significant And if I'm going to be significant, if I'm going to influence my family and others and be what you want me to be in this life, I need the Holy Spirit baptism. Would you stand with me this morning? And as they come to sing and play, this altar is open. If you want to come and pray or worship or tarry or whatever you may want to be. But as they're getting in place, if you feel comfortable doing this and you really mean it, Don't do it if you don't mean it. You don't have to. But if you really feel comfortable doing it and you really mean it, there's a song that says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place, right? Can I take that to a personal note? And when I say in this place, talk about my life. And I just want to ask before they play and sing, is there anybody that would just do this with me that would maybe lift your hands to the Lord as a sign of yielding and as a sign of decision? And when you proclaim to the Lord... And say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Talking about your heart and in your life. Let's do that this morning. Holy Spirit, 
You are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my mind and in my heart and in my life. I, I know you're already with me. I know you've already drawn me to salvation. But Holy Spirit, I need you to baptize me. I need you to immerse me. I, I'm living in a tough world right now. I'm living in a tough situation. I've got great opportunities ahead of me. I have great potential ahead of me. But I'll never reach it unless you help me, unless you immerse me in your power and in your presence and in your spirit. So I declare this morning, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this temple. You are welcome to immerse me in your spirit and in your power. And when I come back up, I want to come up dripping wet. I want to come up where everybody, there's no doubt that I have been in your presence and your power. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Lord, we thank you for the baptism of the Holy, hallelujah, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that your words are true. Your words, Jesus Christ. It's not the church of God doctrine. It's not some preacher or man-made creed. But Lord, we take it at your word. We stand on your statements, on your famous last words, that we shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon us. And we believe in the baptism, the endowment, the immersion of the power of the Holy Spirit. We bless your name. We, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my individual life. Come, immerse me in your power and in your presence. Put a hunger in my heart. Put a stirring in my heart. Put a conviction in my heart. Put a focus in my heart. And God, if there are things, God, that are, are, that are distracting me, things that are, are put, put in my mind away from you. Lord, let me put those things to the side and let me yield to your presence. Yield to your power. And Lord, when that unction comes up on me, when that unction comes up on me, help me to remember that it is Jesus Christ who is the Holy Ghost baptizer. And it is Him who is doing the work. And let me yield to your presence. Yield to your moving and allow you to immerse me afresh and anew in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of the Father. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of the Father. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of the Father. I'm reminded, God, that Joel prophesied about this. I'm reminded that he said that it was not just for his generation, but it was for the next generation and, and for the children and their children and for as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so, Lord, we're not just praying that we would be freshly immersed in the Holy Spirit, but we take your word face value and we're praying for the next generation to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. We're praying for the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of this church to be fully immersed in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to fall upon the children's ministry. We're praying for the Holy Spirit baptism to fall upon the Hilltop Youth Ministry. We're praying for the power to come upon the lives of babies and children and young people and teenagers, oh God. Move upon us, Holy Spirit. This is your church. This is your church. This church was inspired by you. This church was birthed by you. This local body was brought together by you. This is your plan, and you have brought us to this point in time. 
You have brought it to this point in time. And it is such a time as this. And I, I declare to you, Holy Spirit, I declare to you, Holy Spirit, publicly and without doubt and unashamed, this is your church and you are welcome here. This is your church and you are welcome here. Move among us like never before, God. We don't know what we don't know. And God, you have moved, you have moved here many times, all throughout the all throughout the years and the decades. Oh, how you have moved. But God, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what you want to do next. We don't know the power that maybe, just maybe, you want to pour out upon us that we have never, ever experienced a significance, an influence, an impact, an immersion like we've never known. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We bless you, God. We bless you, God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the unction and the moving of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, if you feel the Holy Spirit moving in your heart and in your life, you might be driving down the road. You might be sitting at the workplace. You might be sitting in your living room. But if you start feeling the Holy Spirit and moving in your life and you sense that Jesus Christ is ready to baptize you like you've never been baptized before in the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, when you start feeling that, just yield to Him. Don't be afraid. Don't be prideful. But just say, Lord, have your way in my life. Baptize me fresh and anew in the Holy Spirit. Praise be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be your holy name. Blessed be your holy name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I'm trying to sit down, but I'm all fired up. <laughs> Hallelujah. What a good gift. Amen. What a good gift that Jesus wants to give to you and he wants to give to me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Would you lift your hands one more time and give the Lord praise. I believe the Holy Spirit is honoring His Word this morning. Anytime that, that we hear tongues, that's a sign of the moving of the Holy Spirit. That, that is a, a, a validation of what God has spoken. Sometimes the tongues come with an interpretation. Sometimes they come to validate what's already been spoken. But Lord, we thank you for the moving of the Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Bless your people today. Worship Him as they sing this morning. Continue to worship and linger before the Holy Spirit today. <laughs>